learn how to think for yourself, right? You need to go against the system. The system is schooled to have you think a certain way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 81 of the Neuro Experience Podcast. I'm Louisa Nicola and I am your host. I hope you're all loving this week. I hope you're set up for a powerful, productive, and mentally sustainable week because we all know that mental endurance is a must if we're going to be able to control who we are, what we do, and the results that we get. On today's podcast, we have Kim Constable, better known as the Sculpted Vegan. She's forged a new path in the fitness space by becoming the number one vegan bodybuilder, and it shows. Her sheer determination for success is relentless, and in today's episode, Kim speaks to us about her career so far, how she stays in shape, what it means to be a vegan, and of course, she takes us into the inner workings of her mind and what it means to never give up. Let's get into it. Kim, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, before we get into it, I've been actually trying to track you down, get you on this podcast because I've been following you. I love everything about you and I know you're going to give so much gold and insights um, for my audience. But before we get into it, I need to ask you, how do you start your morning? Oh, well, this is good. It's a, it's a, that's a multifaceted question, I suppose I could say. It's, um, I, it depends on what time of year it is as to what, how I start my morning, because my, my year is very cyclical in terms of the business or in terms of, you know, how I do things with, you know, with my bodybuilding, with, you know, when I show, um, and, or when I'm on season or when I'm off season, basically. So, yeah, I don't really have a, I have a specific morning routine depending on what time of the year it is, but, at the minute, so for example, I have my first show in four weeks, so mm. I'm deep in prep, as we call it. So deep in prep basically means that you're doing enormous amounts of cardio, and you are dieting hard, although I don't diet that hard, I just prefer to do more cardio to lose the body fat. So at the minute, I usually wake up um, at around 6.30, in fact this morning, it was my husband, he always gets up first in the summer, and <laughs> this morning, he uh, he was blowing his nose loudly, and I said to him, you always wake me up, Lord, you're blowing your nose <laughs> And he said, uh, and, he, and, and then he, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. And he patted me and I said, what time is it? And he said, he said, it's, uh, it's very close to seven. And I said, oh, and you know, it didn't feel close to seven in my body. It felt closer to six. And he goes, yeah, it's 55 minutes until seven. And I was like, oh, you <laughs> he got you. <laughs> so, and he was like, I'll go make you coffee. So that's usually what happens in the morning. Um, it's funny, Louisa, because earlier on in prep, whenever I was, and um, not quite as tired. You know what? It's, it gets harder towards the end. You get tired or you get busier. And so earlier on in prep, I was the one who got up early and I got on the Stairmaster first because we have a Stairmaster in the house. So I used to get up and get on the Stairmaster. I used to go downstairs, get coffee, bring him coffee in bed. I would get on the Stairmaster for seven. He would, you know, do his thing in bed. Then he gets on the Stairmaster while I make us both breakfast. He, we eat breakfast together and then he goes off to work and I then go to my office. But now we've kind of reversed. Now he gets up early and he gets on the Stairmaster first and brings me coffee, which is lovely. Mm. And then we, um, and then I make breakfast while he's on the Stairmaster and then I have uh, my turn afterwards. But we don't usually get to eat breakfast together anymore. You see, the thing is we have four kids, but we homeschool. So our kids don't get up until maybe nine or nine thirty. You know, so Ryan and I usually are up, have had breakfast, coffee, you know, cardio done and he's already away by the time the kids have even woken. 
But I usually wow. like to be at my desk by about 9.30 at the latest. Once they get up, I spend some time with them. I make them some breakfast. And then my housekeeper, Lorraine, usually arrives at about 9.30. And then I get to my, my desk. But it's always active in the morning. It's always active. But if it's an off-season and I'm not doing cardio, I usually like to get up and work early. Mm. So I'll get up sometimes like at 5. I'll get up between 5 and 7. I, I always say my most productive time is between 5 and 7. So, and that's when my company was built. See, any programs that I ever had to create, they were written between the hours of 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. Well, as the kids got older and slept later, then they were maybe written between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m. Mm. But it was the only time in the early days that I had to work because, you know, I was a, full, a full-time stay-at-home mom. So I've always been an early riser. I do believe in the, in the power of getting up early because I believe that whenever it's quiet and nobody's messaging you or calling you or emailing you, it's a, it's a quiet time whenever your brain hasn't, you know, been distracted by all the minutia of the day and you can really just focus on whatever needs done. So at the minute, that's cardio for me um, mm. and I'm not usually sitting at my desk until like 9.30. But at other times of the year, whenever it's not cardio first thing, um, then I will usually be at my desk very early, usually between 6 and 7. You know, it's interesting that you say that you get the most work done because I'm – what I'm, you know, known for is like setting up your morning routine and, and what I believe solely when you look at the neuroscience behind, you know, productivity and when your brain is in the most um, creative way um, to produce anything, it's in the morning, it's in the first 20 minutes of every morning. That's why I'm so obsessed with asking successful people, especially in, you know, in the fitness industry, what they do, how they start their morning. And, you know, a lot of people say I start with meditation, I start with journaling and then it's... um you know, just hearing your story too, everyone's got a different way, but whatever ritual it is, um, it's there and it's something that's consistent and something that keeps you going every day. Yes, so. indeed. And I like as well, what I find is when I'm on the Stairmaster, like I usually do cardio in off season as well, but I won't do it. Like at the minute I do two one hour sessions of cardio six days a week. Mm. So it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of cardio. But while I'm on the Stairmaster, because it's slow, steady cardio, I that's when I check in with all my groups. I will post on Instagram and then I you know, check in with messages. I reply to Facebook comments. I sometimes edit videos, you know, edit fitness videos yeah. or, you know, just very simple ones for YouTube. Um, so I, I use that time very, very productively. Yes, I'm on the Stairmaster, but I'm generally not watching Netflix. Mm. It's, a, it's a full hour spent responding to people who have written to me. Like I respond to every single person who writes to me on Instagram and I would get four to 500 messages per day. Wow. And that's the art of being an entrepreneur. It's actually replying to people in the comments and replying to people in messages. And that's what you did with me. I reached out to you and you replied to me. So I, I love that. And you really do. Um, you know, the person you project on Instagram is, yeah, Yeah. you walk the talk. Exactly. And I love that. Now let's get into it. You're, you're a vegan. Okay, now I've got to tell you, I'm going to prime the conversation and say to you that I'm Greek. Now, we um, Greeks probably don't even know what a vegan is because we've been brought up around meat. But I want to ask you more about the vegan lifestyle and how you're teaching people all around the world how to be sculpted by living, you know, this vegan lifestyle. So how did it happen? Have you always been vegan and why? What are the benefits of it? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I was vegetarian for many years so I turned vegetarian whenever my um I was pregnant with my first son Corey he's my 13 so I turned vegetarian about 14 years ago and um, I actually turned I I seem to 
to turn things for entirely the wrong reasons. They always, I always say it's better to do the right thing for the wrong reason. But I, I went vegetarian years ago because I had started, um, I, well, one of my best friends at the time who I was working very closely with, and we were starting a company together, was vegetarian. And I greatly looked up to and admired her. And she would talk an awful lot about how, you know, being, you know, a meat eater wasn't sustainable and it was bad for the environment. And she had all of these many, many reasons for why she was, you know, vegetarian. And so I thought, yeah, I'm going to become vegetarian too. So I became vegetarian as well because she was a vegetarian, which was entirely the wrong reason to do it, but I did it anyway. And But then as I learned more and more about vegetarianism and as I really began to look into the ecosystem and the effect, you know, eating animals has on global warming, you know, it's like the, the animal industry is responsible for far more um, CO2 emissions than the aviation aviation industry ever will be, you know, mm. it's it's crazy and, and also if you you know even go deeper like i'm a big thinker in terms of i i see i think see things as a system and um, an awful lot and so whenever i explain to people how the amount of energy that goes into farming one one cow for meat would feed two thousand people like wow. they're, they're stunned and they're like well how is that possible i'm like well because the you know we need to feed a cow grain Right. So we need to grow the grain. We need to purchase the grain with money. We need to feed the cow grain because they can't always be out at grass, you know, for because people just don't have the, the room and obviously in the winter and whatever. So we put an awful lot of energy, time, money and grain into feeding that cow. And then we slaughter that cow and then we eat it. And mm -hmm. so but the, the amount of energy that went into feeding that one cow would actually feed 2000 people. And there are millions of starving people in the world. Mm. And so I was like okay, oh my God, how narcissistic. Like, just because we like the taste of meat, you know, we're... So I'm not saying that not farming the cows would, would you know, would eradicate famine in the world. I'm certainly not... It's not as simple as that. But I think that as human beings, we have a responsibility to look at our effect on the planet. Mm. And I'm a big one for looking at our wider reaching effects. And so therefore that, that was part of the reason then it became very much a part of me. Once I, I turned vegetarian for the wrong reason, but then it became a part of me. And so then what happened with the veganism was I, I, I kept hearing, you know, people who were vegan and, and I always thought, you know, for me, Louisa, I'm the kind of person who likes to push it to the next level. So I'm never going to just become vegetarian. I'm like, what's greater than vegetarian? You know, I was like, oh, vegan. And it seems so hard. I was like, why would you even be vegan? Oh, I would miss cheese. And, you know, and I couldn't possibly give up my croissants and buttered hot buttered toast. Like, who can yeah. live without hot buttered toast, you know? And so it was all of these reasons. I, you know, all, it's all those little comforts. A lot of people say, oh, I could be vegan, except I just couldn't give up cheese or I just couldn't give up butter or, you know, it's always the little things or milk chocolate, you know, the things we couldn't give up. But um, basically, again, I, I mean, I'm, I'm always very candid and very honest. It's kind of, it's one of my, one of the things that's really good about me and one of the things that's really terrible sometimes as well. Gets me in a lot of trouble. But basically, I went vegan um, years, three years ago for two reasons, okay? The first one was I, I read a book, and this is kind of the ethical reason. I read a book called The China Study um, by Colin T. Farrell, which basically is the largest study of... Um, human of nutrition and human in human beings ever done. Mm. And basically it showed beyond all scientific doubt that eating uh, animal protein um, and eat, eating a diet higher than 15% animal protein mm. promotes cancer growth in the body and that you can actually turn on and turn off cancer growth by increasing animal protein over 15% and decreasing it below 15%. And they showed the studies all around the world of you know, the causes of the ones that had the biggest amount of heart disease and cancer and the, the very direct links. And I looked at it and I was like, okay, I'm a very logical, very science scientific person in, in how I think. And I thought, I want to live a long and healthy life. 
And I do eat animal, animal protein in terms of I was eating eggs, I was eating cheese, dairy, that kind of stuff. Not a lot, but enough, certainly probably more than 15%. So I said, you know what? I actually want to be healthy. And so I'm, I'm just going to make the leap and I'm just going to go vegan. And overnight I went vegan. So I would love to say, mm. oh, it was so animals. And I was, you know, whatever. It wasn't. It was just, it was actually more for my health than, that I went vegan um, because health has always been a massive priority to me. Um, and so that was that was the main reason that I turned vegan. But the second reason that I turned vegan was I saw a gap in the market. Mm. And that's the honest to God's truth. I did. I, you know, but I mean, seeing a gap, I, if I didn't already have it in me, I couldn't have seen the gap in the market and gone, and, you know, that wouldn't have been a big enough reason to turn vegan, if that makes sense. But um, I saw a gap in the market for a vegan bodybuilder. I was already... And I was getting into the gym. I was getting into, you know, I, was, I had a goal in mind that I wanted to compete. So I was starting to train quite seriously. And I began to look online for vegan bodybuilders. I began to, and there are vegan bodybuilders and there were quite a lot online, mm. but none of them had a scalable business model. And I had already been into internet marketing for about six or seven years. Um, I had start and failed many online businesses. I had a YouTube channel. Like I had been trying and trying and trying and trying to make it in the online world and I had built up a massive amount of content and I had been relatively successful. Like my, my yoga business was turning over probably around a hundred thousand dollars in its third year. So, you know, it was like moderately successful. I have a lot of people say it's very successful and, but I had never really cracked it. And so I, I looked around and I thought, Oh, there must be a vegan you know bodybuilder right there who has created a program, like a fitness model, mm. who would have created a program, which will tell me how to go from where I am now to get to the stage. And they'll tell me, what I need to train and what I need to eat and whatever. And so I went searching online and I searched and searched and searched and I realized it didn't exist. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Like, <laughs> the aha, the aha moment. Scalable business model yeah. that can be, you know, that will take. And I thought if I'm searching for this information, you can bloody well guess that there's millions of other people searching for this information and veganism was on the rise. And I saw that it was on the rise so I decided to go all in with both feet for that reason as well. I decided to walk and talk and I thought, well, I can't, you know, teach people how to be a vegan bodybuilder if I am not a vegan bodybuilder myself. Mm. So that was the other reason and why I got into it. Say to people, do the right thing for the wrong reason, because quite often when you're in there, then the ethics become yeah. a part of you. But, you know, you don't always have to have, you know, the ethics and the internal drive. Of course, for a lot of people that is true, but it. it it's not necessarily true for everybody and everything. Now, the one thing that you probably get asked a lot, and this is from people who aren't vegans, is how do you get your protein? Because to be a bodybuilder, I'm guessing the amount of protein, you know, is probably hard to get. You know, I don't even know. How how much protein do you have in a day? Do you monitor that? And wh what's the best source of protein for a vegan? Well, do you know what's funny? Um, and I'm, again, I don't, I don't mean to be offensive whenever I say this, but whenever somebody asks me that question, it tells me they know very little about nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> and it is true. And people ask that question and I go, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because even before I was a vegan, I don't mean that to be insulting to you because I know it's a general question people ask and that's why you're asking No, it. I love it. It is, you know, it is, it is true because even before I was a vegan, I knew an enormous amount about nutrition. Like I ran, I'm still run, we're actually relaunching in May, a, yoga I was a yoga teacher before I became a bodybuilder so 10 years of yoga practitioner and um, four years of teaching I ran the biggest yoga detox workshops here in Belfast I was you know one of the best known yoga teachers in the UK so I had an online nutrition you know yoga detox and nutrition company so I knew an enormous amount about nutrition anyway so whenever I became vegan it wasn't for me it was the question of where do you get your protein it was okay let's look at how much protein I need and let's try and then work backwards mm. so you know there are an enormous amount of um 
you know, vegan protein sources. But I suppose just like in the animal world where people think, you know, if I said, okay, vegan protein sources, people will say chicken, beef, pork, mm. turkey. Mm. You know, you can, you'll, if I said, you, you know, name, name me three or four, people would say, well, on fish, maybe five. There you are. So I could name you straight off five vegan protein sources that, that have just as much protein as those five sources. You know, mm. well, the top three that I would eat are uh, tofu, of course, very mm. high in protein. Um, I mean, like for like with chicken, it's just that it's, it's higher in fat. It's not as lean. Mm. Um, seitan is a, is a vegan protein, which is made from uh, vital wheat gluten. So what they do is they wash the gluten out of the grain and it becomes a pure form of gluten. And so therefore, and a lot of, it's funny, a lot of people who are gluten intolerant can actually eat seitan for some reason because of the way they wash the gluten out of the grain. Mm. So um, seitan is very high in protein, very low in fat and carbs. So it's a very lean protein. I eat a lot of it. And the other one, which has just come onto the market recently is sunflower mints. So sunflower mints in America, they call it sunflower hashé or sunflower hash, hashé, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, over here, we call it mince as in minced beef, but I, don't, I think you guys call it ground beef, whereas yes. we call it minced beef. Yes. So it's basically like ground beef, except it's ground sunflowers. And uh, it has 51 grams of protein per 100 grams. Oh and my it's gosh. Extremely low. Yeah, it's massive, higher than any meat source, and it's extremely low in carbs and fat. So there are, you know, and there's millions of others. I mean, there's so many you know, meat, fake meat products on the market now that don't involve mycoprotein or soy. You know, of course, there's a lot of fake chicken and fake, you know, this and fake that. We call them fake chicken nuggets in our house. But there is a lot of that too, but they generally have an awful lot of additives, whereas there are a lot of very pure vegan sources of protein. And so instead of having chicken or beef or, you know, pork, we would have tofu and seitan and sunflower mints. And so it's, we, we eat basically the same diet as a carnivore except we just substitute with vegan sources instead so people think it's this really great big complicated thing but actually it's not and i don't you know there's vegan cheese instead if we're going to have pizza we don't have regular cheese we have vegan cheese and do you feel as though i've actually looked at vegan cheese and i've had it i've never gotten into too much into the veganism i've um i've you know, sometimes I've had, I've eliminated all meat and just had fish and, you know, it was good. But I want to ask you, do you feel like this is better for your mental clarity? Oh, I don't know. I've always been a very, a very um, upbeat kind of person. You know, yeah. and people have asked me things like that and they say, well, do you feel that you're, you know, you're this or you're that? And I say, yeah. honestly, without measurement, I couldn't honestly say. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I always say I suffer from too much motivation. I have I have more motivation in my little finger than most people have in their entire bodies. I'm like this all the time. I'm always chatty. I'm always energetic. I'm always like, I go from the minute I, like I go from 6am till 10pm. I don't stop. I don't watch television. I don't relax. I don't watch Netflix. Like I am always on. And where do you think that comes from? Veganism has probably, um, well, I I always say that we're a product of our environment. I mean, and I'm a massive believer. I've done an awful lot of work myself into, you know, my, where I came from, you know, my own personal belief system, where it was built. And I used to run a multilingual children's company here in, in Northern Ireland. So I used to do an awful lot of research into the developing brain. And my kids speak Chinese fluently and they used to speak Spanish fluently as well. So I, because of, I wanted to study the effect of languages on the brain. And so I began to look at you know, how we are shaped. And the thing about children is that we build our, we as adults build our belief structure uh, when we're children, usually before we're cognitive. So a child will reach cognition, usually um, for girls, it's slightly earlier, it can be around the age of um, between nine and 11. For boys, it's slightly later, usually between 12 and 14. But before this time of cognition, where we make sense of the world, up until that point, we don't actually have, um, we can't really say, 
oh, we, you know, our teacher, our teacher shouts at us, for example, our teacher is angry, right? And they yell at us. Well, as an adult, we can say, oh, well, that didn't feel good, but like, she's obviously having a bad day or maybe her husband and she had a fight before she left this morning. Or, you know, we can think of other reasons why this may be. We don't make it mean something other than it is. But when it's, when that happens to a child, they're primitives, like it triggers their fight or flight mechanism. And they start like linking all of this crazy stuff, the look on her face, the color of her shirt, the smell of the room, the, you know, the brightness of the room or whatever. And so it, it, it we basically are meaning making machines whenever we're children. And so our primitives are all built whenever we're very, very young and how we see the world and how we shape the world and how we do the world as an adult is, is a direct reflection of how we were parented and how the experiences we had whenever, before we were cognitive. And so I grew up with two parents who were so driven you would not believe it. Like mm. my dad worked, you know, he had a, a car business, uh, he sold cars and it was, it was at home where we lived, but he would have got up in the morning early and he would have been out to the office and he worked all day. Mm. I mean, all day. The only time I really, I ever saw my dad was on, uh, was on a Saturday and he used to take us out on a Saturday morning sometime or take us for lunch, but that was it. That was really the only time. And I used to see him go over to his office and stuff during the day, but he worked even when he was sick, he worked. Mm. My mom is the same. She was always showing dogs or she was, you know, going here. Or she was going there. She was taking us. You know, we were always active. We were always going places and doing things. We lived on a, what used to be a farm and we had horses and we had dogs and my mom had us, you know, mincing tripe and, you know, and, and going to dog shows and my grandmother lived next door and she was always baking and cooking and everybody was busy and active and everybody was always doing. So we became, my sisters and I, very, um, very good at doing, we're, we're all highly motivated and we're all extremely, I wouldn't even say it's not energetic, it's just we're all very efficient and we're all very motivated and we just get stuff done. We're just, you know, my, like we never got a day off school. If we, if we were, we had to be dying I mean, my mom used to say, go to school anyway, and if you're still sick at lunchtime, call me and I'll come and get you. You know, we we had to be like a temperature of 104 to yeah. get off school. So yeah. we were just we taught the work ethic of you just get up and you get it done and you don't make excuses and you don't cry. You just, yeah, life's, life's tough. So, and really nobody cares work harder. Yeah. You know, but we had a very loving upbringing, but it really was a, it was it was that, you know? And it, was, it was that. And so I think that's where I, I learned to just do you know you've got four kids which is so surprising that you know you're you're out there you're getting it done you're doing whatever it takes and a lot of people in your position will be like you know raising four kids and having a husband and and having an online business that's you know soaring it you know you get unfocused and I want to know is there any times that in the day that you get unfocused and if you do what are the things that you do to get back into focus it depends what you mean by focus. What do you mean by focus? Like, what well, does focus mean for you? Okay, so when you wake up and you've got your, you know, you've got your goals to achieve for the day, you've got your things set out, and then something happens and you become unfocused, and your brain kind of switches off, you know, work mode, and you become focused on something—an environmental change or environmental thing that's happened to you. How, like, do you ever get unfocused on your path, or are you always maintaining that focus twenty-four-seven? Ah, oh, it's an interesting question. I, I have, I. I am generally extremely focused. I am very, um, very, very driven. I'm always working towards something. And when I'm not working towards something or when I find myself in a lull, then I find that I have to find something to work towards. Like mm. my family always laugh and they always say that, you know, 
even if we take it out into the bigger picture, right into the macro, you know, I am the kind of person that when I take something on, I just don't take it on. I do it 120%. Like if I'm going to, I'm not just going to go to the gym. I'm going to be the world's most famous vegan bodybuilder. Do you know what I mean? I it's fucking like, love that. You know, and I was the same whenever I, you know, whenever I, I started to do yoga, I'm not just going to go to a yoga class. I'm going to become the UK's most prolific yoga teacher. <laughs> that's, that's just who I am. So yeah. I always have this ultimate goal in my mind that I'm working towards. So I suppose every single project that I take on, and truly that is actually my goal that I'm, you know, somebody said to me, you know, recently, okay, what is it that you want? And I was like, simple. I want to be the world's most famous vegan bodybuilder. And they were like, of course you do. <laughs> of course you do, Kim. And I was like, no, it's true, I do. And and also, you know, I said to people, it's not like I, I really, I believe that, I, you know, I, I suppose because I have such a higher focus, yes, are there times when I do become slightly distracted, if you like, you know, it, it takes a lot of discipline to stay on to stay on point mm. um it takes a lot of discipline to like whenever i i have projects I, I i'm very good at prioritizing so i look at my day usually the night before and i i sit down with my diary and i say okay what are the things i have to accomplish tomorrow and i write them down and i say okay prioritize them if like which one is you know someone will die if this doesn't get done and i put that at the top and mm. i label it a1 and then i work through them in that way so i know that if i only have to accomplish one thing tomorrow that thing is getting done and so there, once I have that in my mind, then I clear my schedule or I make arrangements in order to get that one thing done. So whenever there's a deadline looming, um, I have an amazing project manager in the business, Laura, and she, um, we work in Asana a lot. And she basically, she, she meets with me every morning and she sends me like, here are, here's the agenda for the day. And we meet at nine 30 and she basically keeps me on track. Here is, here's what I need from you today. She just tells me what, what she needs from me. And then I just create it. So I've created a team now that keeps me very focused, if you like, you know, because I'm not always trying to, to juggle everything. I'm like, I have a great team who'll tell me what needs to be done in order to reach our goals. But also I always have this higher vision, Louise. I always have this higher vision of where are we going? And I had a little lull there this this last couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, and I was finding like, I, you know, everything in the business is running so smoothly. It basically just runs itself. The challenges run themselves. The team runs everything. We have so many, our, our, like our, our year is planned out right until the end of December. So we know month to month what's happening, what emails are going out. We, we you know, the whole business is running. Mm-hmm. And I was finding myself sitting at my desk going, hmm, like, I know I have to write that advanced program. I know I need to create that PDF, but it's like, it wasn't inspiring me. I was like, I needed something bigger to focus on. And so that's, so that's whenever I began to look at, okay, what is missing in the business and actually what is going to propel me closer towards my goal. And once I started asking those questions, the answers just started coming, like flying in and I realized what we needed to do. So we, and then, so literally in this last week, we have made an enormous shift in the business, which basically means you are going to see me, Kim Constable literally on every single social media channel on, you know, we're going to be doing a daily blog. We're going to be doing a a podcast. We're going to be, you know, feeding out maybe 30 pieces of content to every single, you know, basically using the Gary Vaynerchuk strategy of of document. Don't create. I've taken on a full-time videographer or sorry, video editor. I've taken on a full-time social media manager. So we've made a lot and that's really excited me. So this Mm -hmm. week I'm like, yes, I've got my fire back. I know I'm going on. And now I know, you know, now I'm really really focused on this and that's where I'm really good Louisa and I think that's why my business has grown so much because you know I have I, I basically have replaced myself in every area that doesn't excite me mm. and I've replaced myself with myself with people who are really excited by those areas like I have you know full-time developer designer full-time project manager full-time um you know copywriter content writer 
I have full-time community managers, admins, you know, videographer. We have, you know, so I have this enormous team now, well, not enormous, but, you know, really efficient team, small but mighty, as Amy Porterfield always says, really small but mighty team set up. And so I can just focus all of my time on what really excites me, which is being the visionary of the business and having the vision and having the goals and creating the programs and seeing the bigger picture. And mm. that's what gets my, my juice flowing. So whenever I feel unmotivated or unfocused, I just you go back, back to what to my, my vision is. Yeah. And um, that usually puts a bit of a fire in my belly and gets me going. It's just state change. It's really, yeah. it's just, it's just, like, I lie on the couch and I don't feel like going to the gym quite a lot, but I go, <laughs> you know, and I, and I change my state and I, and I go there and I know once I'm there, even if I'm driving there, I'm like, I don't want to do this like die. I know once I'm there and I'm under that squat bar, yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find the motivation. What I love so. most is that you've picked your niche and then you've built a business around that. And see, I was at the gym this morning with a girlfriend. She's in the fitness industry and she's looking at changing her, you know, the way she, instead of going from a, you know, one-on-one client training, she wants to then move online. And I guess, you know, with you, it's taken, you didn't just do it in 12 months. It took time. It took, you know, you said you failed many times with online businesses. How did you start? Like, what was the step one in th- saying, okay, great, I'm going to do an online course. Like, what did you produce it on? How did you go from, you know, getting content? Because I know now, you know, you're beaming and you've got a lot of staff in place, but I'm, I'm guessing you started off with just you. Yes, I did start off with just me. I actually, like my journey started seven years ago whenever I decided I was going to write a blog. And I started, first of all, decided I was going to write an ebook. And it was funny because I, I was running this multicultural children's program and we had a lot of, and it was doing very well, but it was an enormous amount of work for me. And I found out whenever I had just started the company that I was pregnant with my fourth son, Jack, and I really was not prepared to be pregnant again. It was such a shock. And I, you know, I already, I had, my youngest child was, Maya had only just turned one whenever I found out I was pregnant. She was my third and Corey was only five. My eldest, so I had four children under six whenever Jack was born. And it was, um, I was, I was enormously busy. I was suffering. I was trying to run the company. I was trying to parent this newborn. I had staff all over the house, you know, who were working for the company because my children were learning Chinese and Spanish. And then we were, you know, driving all these staff all over the the country to these different families whose kids were learning it. And I almost nearly had a nervous breakdown. And I remember one day I was trying to get the kids, you know, out the door because we, of course they were in, they were going to tennis club and we have, you know, because, you know, I wasn't busy enough. I had to create extra curricular activities for my children as well. So I was trying to get them out the door to tennis one day. And I remember sinking to, and they they were like, they didn't want to go. And they were like, no, they were like, they were, I had four of them under six. So I had the baby and he was easy enough to move. And Maya, and she was kicking and screaming and the boys didn't want to go. And I was like, come on, we're going to be late. And I was trying to push them all out the door. And then, and then they were, you know, giving off and crying or whatever. And I just suddenly broke. Mm. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. And I remember just sinking to my knees in the middle of the, the hole, just inside the front door. And I just put my head in my hands and I started to cry. And of course, the kids were really shocked because they had never seen me like that, you know, cry. And they all came over and they were going, Mommy, Mommy, are you okay? And they were all patting me. And I was like sitting in the middle of the hall, just my head in my hands, just like sobbing. And, you know, and I, so we didn't go to tennis that day. Mm. And my husband came came home and he was like, are you okay? And I said, I'm really not okay. I'm actually just broken. I just can't do this anymore. I said, I can't run this company. Jack was only like four weeks old or something. I was breastfeeding, sleepless nights, you know, I, and trying to, you know, cook dinner for everybody. I didn't have a housekeeper or anyone to help me at that time. Like, you know, it was, it was awful. It was just awful. And, but it was good because it was the turning point. And that, and so that's when I thought there has to be an easier way to make money. 
So I, somebody had told me that, you know, this is, now you're talking, this is in, two, uh, Jack was born in 2011, so this is 2011, so the internet was really just taking off then, you know, and people were only really starting to start blogs and that kind of stuff. And so I thought to myself, I know what I'll do, I'll write an ebook because I'd heard that if you write an ebook and sell it, then you can make lots of residual income. Uh, so my, my foray into trying to um, think about writing an ebook or figuring out, you know, that whole thing led me into um, maybe I'll start a blog. So I thought, you know, then I thought, oh, this blogging thing seems really cool. So I started a blog. That's how the whole thing started. I started a blog and I committed to blogging every single day for a year because I told you when I do something, I don't just do it. You know, I won't... I was like, I'm still running my company and I started this blog and I was like, I'm going to blog every single day for a year because that, I knew that the, you know, getting yourself out there and getting that amount of exposure and being that committed to something was really what it took for it to be successful. So I wrote every single day for a year and I started to really push hard in the blogging world and I, I, had, I had quite a lot of success with it. I had quite a big subscriber list. I built up about 30,000 people um, on my subscriber list because I was blogging about family and business and just like my life. Mm. But then so then I decided because I had run a successful business that I was going to try and teach moms how to run a successful business from home. I bought loads of different programs and one of them was was called Create Your Network and it was about setting up an online network and I created the Work at Home Moms Network. And if you Google me on YouTube, you will see I have never taken them down because I'm going to go back to them one day and laugh at them all. Some horrendous videos of me, Kim running the Work at Home Moms Network, like advising moms on their business. And oh, it was, of course, like I was only really doing it to make money. And this was the problem, Louisa. I, was, I had started the business with the main goal of making money because I wanted to yeah. make money in a way that wasn't exchanging my time for money. But what I didn't realize was that it doesn't matter what business you start, you're still going to have to hustle really, 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 really hard. So you may as well absolutely love and eat, sleep and breathe the thing that you do because you're going to be doing it a lot for a long time. But that was the missing piece. That was the piece I didn't get. Like I had started this online business because I thought, I want to make loads of money. And it's going to be, I've heard that making money online is easy. Uh, so I, I hustled and hustled and hustled for, I would say, a good five years before I finally realized that the work at home moms network was really never going to make me a lot of money. But I learned a massive, yeah. massive amount in the process because I basically spent five years learning. I learned everything about copywriting and, and I took B school, Marie Forleo's B school. And I learned about, you know, email lists and I watched everything about Pinterest and Facebook. And like I learned an enormous amount about online and then I gave it all up yeah. and I lost my subscriber list. I lost, I closed down my Aweber account, I downloaded my 30,000 subscribers, and then my computer crashed one day, and I got a new computer, and I lost my list. So, no! No! So funny. But, um, so then, but I, I then got into to, to yoga, and then as I was getting into yoga, I, I suddenly thought, there's not many yoga teachers really doing well online. This is what I realized. I was like, yoga teachers and PTs, probably like your friend, they get into that kind of thing because they enjoy training people and they enjoy training themselves. So the next logical step for them is to start to train other people, right? So they think I am going to take on clients and that's how I'm going to earn money. But I, the reason why I think I've been successful in this is because I got into yoga and I suddenly thought, hmm, there's not very many yoga teachers have my online experience. And I really love yoga. and I wouldn't mind doing this day in, day out. Maybe I should take the experience that I have and I should apply it to yoga and I should start an online business. Mm. And that's where it really started. That's when I started getting up at 5 a.m. and I started writing my Yoga Talks program. But again, it wasn't really, it was successful. Like that was the one that turned over 100,000 in its third year. But I was running workshops twice a month. I was mm. selling them out, 120 people per month coming through my, my physical workshops in Belfast. Like we have a thing, Belfast is tiny. Mm. So that was, but I was selling them all through Facebook ads. I'd taken a Facebook ads course. So I knew pretty much, you know, I knew a lot about Facebook ads. 
So then what happened was that's whenever I saw the, the gap in the market for the vegan bodybuilding. And one day I, I had always wanted to, um, I've always loved muscles. I have a picture of Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2 on my wall in my <laughs> office because that is what inspired my love of muscles. And yeah. I saw it when I was about 13 in a magazine and I just thought she looked so badass and I just wanted to be her. And I, I've always loved muscles, but of course it was the one thing that, you know, they always say to you, you know, do what you love, just do what you love. And you'll, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. And I always thought, all I love is muscles, but how can I, I'm not even a PT. I don't even go to the gym. How can I, you know, of course I'd been in the gym over the years. I'd trained like everybody had, you know, and I trained PTs and stuff, but I'd never done it seriously. So how can I make a living out of muscles? I don't even go to the gym. And it's, so I, that had always been in the back of my mind and that had always stopped me from doing anything because truly, Louisa, what, what people don't realize is just how long it takes to build a business. So in my yes. mind, I was going, if I, if I want to build a business out of muscles, well, I'm first going to have to go to the gym and then I'm going to have to get fit and that's going to take time. You've got to, to walk the walk, time. right? Yeah. You've got to live your message. Yeah. 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 So I, in my mind, I was like, it's going to take too long. It's going to take too long and I need to do this now. I need to do this fast. I need to, to make this money now because I need to help support my family. And um, so, of course, all those years procrastinating, you know, uh, if I had just done what I loved all along, it would have ha probably happened much faster for me. Because when I decided that I was going to go to the gym, because I just looked in the mirror one day and I looked at my 37-year-old saggy butt and I realized that if I didn't fill it with muscle, it was just going to get saggier. Mm. So that was the turning point for me whenever I, I bought a gym program and I went to the gym the next day and I hired a trainer and I decided I was going to train for a bikini competition and I... Then that's when I started looking for my online for, for an online program, which didn't exist. So I started to document my entire journey and create my my program as I was doing it. So as I did the program and as I as I got myself to the stage, I cre documented my entire journey and then I made that into a program to sell online. And I actually didn't answer your question, which was what platforms and stuff did I use? And I can go into all that now if you want, but I've like talked a lot. So I don't know whether you want me to no. take a breath. No, look, I love that because um, a lot of the people who follow this podcast and who are listening are, you know, in the fitness game or in whatever they're in. You know, there's a lot of people between the ages of, I would say, 20 to 30 who listen to this, who get inspired by this, but just don't know where to start, don't know how to start. And a lot of people believe that you can just start, get up and running and go. And I get asked a lot, you know, how did you start your podcast? And I'm like, dude, I started this like, you know, three years ago. It goes, you know, a lot goes into a podcast, a lot goes into a business. And I, I hate when people, you know, say, I want to build a million dollar business. And I'm like, do you know how hard it is just to build a $200,000 business? Like a lot yeah. of time and effort goes into it. And that document, um, you know, versus create is it's really easy just to say it, but then actually putting it into place. Even for me, it's like, you know, I, I get up every morning at 5 a.m. and I'm like, I wish I could just record it. But then, you know, it's like, wow, it's like, I don't want to reach for the phone first thing in the morning. I don't want to have a camera set up first thing in the morning. And so it's like, you know, you toy with yourself in your head. And I love that you're approaching it in that way because entrepreneurship is a really big thing. And when it comes to mental performance, I think what we're not speaking a lot about is how do you overcome the challenges in your head as an entrepreneur and as someone who's on Instagram, you're big, you probably get a lot of comments, both, I would say both good and bad. And it's like, how do you manage that? How do you manage your time? How do you manage your kids? And that's what I love, you know, about what you're saying and you're really putting it in, you're really putting it out there. And I think if you don't have that laser sharp focus, you're going to succumb to the challenges. Yeah. You have to be willing to, to, to do what others aren't. I have, I have taken on a, a 
uh, a mentor role inadvertently with um there's a guy who used to look after my kids he's young he's you know he loves going to the gym um you've probably seen him on my instagram if you follow me on instagram his name's rory um, and he wrote to me recently and he was like i really want it he said to me can you give me any tips i really want to do you know what you do I really want to get in. I'm just about to graduate my PT exam. He's only 18. And I really yeah. want to do what you do. You know, can you give me any tips? And I said, Rory, that's the million dollar question. I said, everybody wants to do what I do. I said, I, can, <laughs> I can't even write some tips. I said, but here's a tip for you. I said, be here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Mm. And you can start to shadow me. And he was like, really? So anyway, he, he's 18. So sometimes he's reliable. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he shows up. Sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> if he's feeling flush, he's, you know, he's not, you know, as motivated. If he's feeling, you know, like he really needs money, he's much more motivated. Yes. And so it's funny. And so, but I've been mentoring him and he, he actually helps me to manage my Instagram accounts because we have three now, you know, we have Sculpted Vegan Transformations, which he manages completely. So he does the posting on it. He writes the captions. He does the, you know, writes and responds to the people. Um, he also helps me with my messaging on Instagram, you know, so I do check my messages every single day, but like I, like I said, I get three to 500. So there's a lot of people who just reply to my stories and ask questions. So Rory, um, Rory does helps me with a lot of the messaging on Instagram and he flags all of them, all of the questions that he wants me to answer that are much more in depth or personal or whatever. And then I go in and I do all the flagged messages every day. So I think um, that, that, but what I say to him all the time is, Rory, you need to be willing to go the extra mile, yeah. you know? And I say this to him, I said, you have to be willing to do what no one else is doing. And, you know, and he'll, he'll write a caption. I'll say, Rory, that was lazy. You know, it was lazy. You didn't even go back and check it. So look, look at the formatting. The formatting's all over the place. You need to go back in and you need to read everything. Once you've posted it, you need to proofread it and you need to check the formatting. And if it's wrong, then, or it's incorrect, you need to fix it. I said, mm-hmm. you've written your Y-O-U-R. It should be Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. U-R, short for U-R. I said, don't be lazy. Yeah. You know, don't write your U-R-E. Write the full word, Rory. You know, I'm always on his case. And I said to him, I know I'm hard on you and I know I'm on your case. I said, but I'm on your case for a reason. And that is because I want you to succeed. And I'm telling you what it takes to succeed. And that is you have to be willing to get up earlier than everybody else. Go to bed later than everybody else. Sacrifice your time for everybody else. You know, like he was supposed to come training yesterday. And he said, oh, I'm not going to train today because, you know, um, my friends from community, I'm going to train with him. And like, I, gave, I gave him so much shit about it. And I was like, oh, really? You're turning down the chance to train with one of the, the best bodybuilders in the world, who is my trainer, Mark. Mm-hmm. He's like one of the most prolific bodybuilders in the world. Like has won every major title in his federation. And the sculpted vegan, because you're made some from uni. Seriously, Rory? Like, seriously? Where mm. do your priorities lie? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, and some people are like, oh, that's terribly hard. And he knows I am joking in inverted commas, and I am. But I'm also reminding him of, you know, you need to be willing to. I said, Rory, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people that step into your place tomorrow. Tomorrow, Rory. And literally live at my house if I ask them to, because they just want the opportunity to learn what it is that I'm doing. I said, but you know, and I, I gave him a big smack down one day in the car. And I said, you're, you really, you don't understand the opportunity I'm putting in front of you. I said to him one day, you see, I wanted him to do an hour on a specific topic. Mm. I said, you know, work for, I work for an hour a day on this topic. So then I noticed that it wasn't being, you know, there were loads of things that weren't being done. And I, I called him and I said, what is going on? Like, why are, why is this not being finished? And he said, oh, because the hour was up. I said, oh. what do you mean the hour was up? And he said, well, you know, you told me to do 60 minutes. So I was just doing 60 minutes. And I was like, oh my God, you are so schooled. This no, is why no. I don't send my kids to school. I was like, when the bell goes, the work stops. Yeah. I said, so because I told you 60 minutes, I said, Rory, do you think I can't afford to pay you more money? Yeah. And he said, well, I think you probably can. I said, why in God's name would you stop at an hour if the job wasn't finished? Why would wow. you not just keep going and not even charge me for the extra time, but just do it because you're the kind of person who finishes the job, you know? 
And that's what's missing, Louisa. That's what's missing in our society. And that's what pisses me off. You know, I'm like, I want to shake the millennials and say, work. God damn it. You know, go the extra mile. It's what gets you noticed. It's what it's what gets people to sit up and pay attention to you. It's what gets people to trust that you're the person to get the job done. Mm. Is it more effort? Yes. Will you always get paid for it? No. Will you even get a, a word of thanks for it? Probably mm. not. But you know what you'll get? You'll get more experience. You'll get more belief in yourself. You'll get you'll 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 go further and faster and longer than everybody else and that's what makes you successful how Going about the extra money no one else is willing to how about okay let's just say that you know we love what you're saying we love what you're doing you're telling us to put out content do it do it well do it hard but what about the people who are, uh, are so afraid to put out content what about the f- people who don't get any likes don't get any comments and they're trying to build a business they're trying to build because that's what I see a lot of that's what I get um, a lot of um, people who come on the podcast and I speak a lot about Instagram because I think it's um, something that you need an emotional license for um, in our day and age and you know I see a lot of people saying I don't put out a lot of content because nobody views it nobody comments and I get scared what are people going to think and that is that victim mentality that I speak about and how do we get out of that victim mentality it's just literally pushing through the barriers so I'm sure at one point in your journey you started off with no followers and you just had to go out and just you know grind and put it out there so how how did you overcome that at the start was it something that was in your mind yeah I had a vision I knew where I wanted to go and you just didn't give a a, a fuck about anything else started out with an intent so whenever I started Instagram I looked at Instagram and I said, well, first of all, I didn't start Instagram until I started bodybuilding. Mm. And when I started bodybuilding, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to build the world's biggest vegan online body, online vegan bodybuilding company, which I now own, which I now have. And mm. um, I have more subscribers, more, I've sold more programs and have more followers than any other vegan bodybuilder in the world. So, you know, like we sold five and a half thousand programs last year. So, and I have 120,000 people on my mailing list Jeez. and it grows by 10, it grows by 10 to 15,000 a month mm. and it's going to grow even faster with what we have planned this year. You know, the branding stuff that we have in the, in the works at the minute is just phenomenal. But so how I started out was I, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. It was actually my husband was the most resistant in the beginning and he'll, he'll say it as well because men are concerned with what people think, you know, especially yes. their wives, you know, and, and, and Ryan's always been the well-known one in our relationship because he was the rugby player who everybody knew. And I was always Ryan Constable's wife. That's how I was known. That was my billing, Ryan Constable's wife. Mm. So, um, you know, I actually did a a, a newspaper. I did an interview for a a well-known newspaper over here, which of course then went viral all around the world. They asked me to do, we used to co-sleep with our kids and um, they asked me to do a piece on co-sleeping. We had an 18-foot bed. So they did this interview with me and then they they told me it was just going to be a lifestyle piece. And then the next thing, um, they put it on the front on the front page, which absolutely horrified my husband, which was Ryan Const- ex-Ulster rugby star, Ryan Constable, and wife. Aww. So he's been 18 uh, with children. And wife. And wife. But not only that, they put it on the front page, and he out, out, nearly got divorced over that. <laughs> 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 because like, he was, oh, I mean, understandably livid, you know, because he doesn't want his private life splashed all over the bloody newspaper. So up until then, it was... You know, um, and I had to, I had to really, that was a, that was a big turning point for me where I realized I had to be really careful with the media and careful about who I trusted and what I said, because that was so disrespectful to him, you know, and to, to our marriage to, for that to happen. And I really had to eat a lot of humble pie, but also it really gave me a, a huge amount of perspective as to, you know, just, you know, where I maybe trusted people too quickly and, and then bad things happened and he was being disrespected because of it. But anyway, regardless, in the beginning, when I first started Instagram, I had a vision. I decided I only started my Instagram account 18 months ago. Wow. So I, 
Yeah. So I've gone from zero to 134,000 in 18 months. And that's just because I had the intention, Louisa, and I knew where I wanted to go. So in the beginning, I, I thought, well, I want to have an account like it was like Emily Sky or Anita Herbert. Like, and yeah. they still have millions and millions of followers. I'm still way behind them. But I was like, I want to have a massive Instagram account. So I looked at all the Instagram accounts that I followed and I thought, well, what is it that they do that is consistent amongst all of them? So, and I was like, they all post beautiful photos. It, like, you know, they're not always photos that are, you know, um, they're not always professional photos, but they are photos of them looking hot, right? And nice lighting and whatever. Bikini. So I thought, okay, I need to be more intentional with mm. my photograph taking. I need to set up my photographs. I need to be more intentional with them. Secondly, they all had amazing bodies. And I was like, well, I need to work on that one. So I am working on that one. And as I get, you know, I'm going to figure out ways I can edit and I can, you know, fake it till you make it. And, you know, I did a lot of heavy editing in the beginning and, and my early photos were absolutely horrendous. But I, I set out with my Instagram account with intention. So I didn't really care if nobody was watching me or I didn't really care in the beginning. It was just all our friends and family would have, you know, liked your stuff and whatever. And that's, that's unfortunately the point that most people need to get over because in the beginning, when you start before you have an audience, the only people that are watching what you're doing, are your friends and family, and it's your friends and family are the ones who are going, Oh my God, what are you doing? You look like a dick. Like, really? Like I was told that a few times. You, I'm sorry. Like I have a terrible potty mouth. So, um, but I was really told, Kim, you just look like a bit of a Dick. <laughs> at times that's the only word I can think of to describe it yeah and you know, it was hurtful because I was like you know but I I and and there were people who tried to stop me and Ryan especially you know people but because I was taking all these half naked photos at me in different stages of undress trying to show off my muscles and my body you know people would come up and they would say Ryan would say oh do you know my wife and they would say oh yeah yeah I follow her on Instagram you know friends of friends mm. and as it started to grow a little bit and he would be like oh you didn't recognize her with her clothes on then you know, it, it was embarrassing for him to have this wife who had no following, mm. nobody, you know, no social proof posting half naked pictures of herself on the internet. It wasn't easy. Mm. And so, and it was hard for me then because he, you know, it's not that he wanted me to stop, but the whole thing just made him uncomfortable and he didn't have my vision. He didn't mm. know where I wanted to go with this business and this company. But all I could think of was, I know where I'm going with this and I know how successful I'm going to make this and I'm not going to let anything stop me. So everything I did was always geared towards this higher vision of, you know, reaching loads of people, you know, being an influencer on Instagram, you know, and again, but it's not for a narcissistic, I always say, I want to be as wealthy as I can possibly be. And people laugh at me and they go, hi, you're, you're not really supposed to say that, Kim. I'm like, I want to be the mm. richest person that I've ever met. I want to be so filthy, stinking rich. You wouldn't even believe how rich I am. And they're like, you, you really shouldn't say that out loud. I'm like, do you know why I want to be really rich? Because I know that I will do good with that money because mm. I am one of the good guys and every single bone in my body is put towards saving the animals, being better to the planet and, and being more uh, compassionate to human beings, you know, mm. and, and, and having women work hard and build self-esteem and feel better about themselves and everything that I do and every, every you know, ounce of effort I put forward is about building a better world, about building happier, more joyful people. And the more money I have, the more influence I can spread, the mm. more the more powerful I can be. Mm. So it's not kind of narcissistic. I want to lie in the Maldives and sip cocktails, you know, and drive, fly in a private jet kind of thing. It's I want every single dollar I make, I invest back into my business in order to reach more people, you know, and and that's, that was my vision in the beginning. So I had a vision and so I didn't let it stop me. So every time someone said, you shouldn't do this or my yeah. God, look at you, you know, I can't believe, you know, you, you know, she's doing that. And people did talk about me. 
but I just kept going, just kept going, just kept going, just kept going, just kept thinking, no, I know where I'm going with this. I know where I'm going with this. I know where I'm going with this. And I just kept my eye on the ball and I just kept moving forward. And you stayed true to who you are. And I, I really love that because I, with my, with my Instagram, I put out, you know, exactly what I do and I don't drink and I'm very big on that. Not because of anything. I'm just very, you know, I speak, you know, I, when my clients come on board, I have a no drinking policy because I understand, you know, the effects that it has on your brain. If we're trying to achieve ultimate brain performance, I always, you know, steer clear of alcohol. And it's funny because, you know, I was, I got an email probably about two weeks ago now from an, a listener, an active listener on the podcast and someone who follows me avidly. And he said, you know, I, I follow you avidly and you speak so well about your productivity and brain health. But over the last, you know, 10 days, I've seen you at large events going out at night. And that's, and he just stopped that. And he said, so I, I've kind of pulled back on believing a lot of the stuff that you said. And it made me wonder that, you know, no wonder so many people get so scared to put out content because of the way they're going right. to be judged. And I love that so much because it made me laugh thinking that, you know, people can get the wrong perspective of you. And I always say you've just got to keep pushing past that. You've just got to keep pushing past whatever negativity that you have in your head, keep pushing past it. And the only thing which you've actually said, Kim, if you've got a higher vision, you keep working towards that. If you have a massive ultimate goal, you have to get absolute tunnel vision. And I always tell my clients, imagine you are in this tunnel that's full of steel and you're running through it and there's light at the end of the tunnel, but people are throwing things at you, but they can't, it can't hit you because it's just rebounding off that steel. And if you're in that tunnel, that's when you'll ultimately get towards your goals because no matter what, no matter how good you are, no matter how, you know, how much content you put out there, that is so true and so amazing. Someone is always going to put you know, if someone's always going to find a different perspective and put something on you and you have to have that mindset to get past it. Yeah, you'll you'll always trigger someone. And I love what Seth Godin says. Um, he always used to say, you know, people are going to judge you no matter what you do. So mm. you either you either shrink back and, and don't be judged or you put yourself out there and be judged. You know, it, he says you really have two choices in life. You can, you know, you can be you can put yourself out there and be judged or you can not put yourself out there and not be judged. Yeah. You know, and I love the whole Gary Vee thing as well. Like, and it's true. He, he, you know, I love the way he always says like what they think doesn't matter. Like truly. And he says it's the biggest thing that holds people back is that, you know, is our fear of what people think. You see, the problem yeah. is I'm the youngest of three children. And so I'm the youngest of three sisters. And so whenever I was younger, I was constantly told, you know, Shh, be quiet. Don't do this. Don't, you know, Kim, stop making so much noise. Stop speaking so loudly. You know, I was always, you know, trying to be shushed and quiet and whatever, because, you know, two older sisters who are very close in age will, will always, you know, um, tell off their younger sibling. And so I learned very quickly that um, actually it didn't, didn't matter what they say, <laughs> because no matter what I did, they were going to say it anyway. Yeah. And then because I've always done things differently, I homeschool my kids. I don't vaccinate my kids. I don't, you know, I, I do all of these things. Like everything they told me not to do, I did. You know, if they said, don't do this. I did it. If they said do this, I was like, oh, well, there must be a reason they're telling me to do this. So I'm going to go and do the opposite of what they told me. So I was, I think it just came from a natural defiance. I was always very defiant, yeah. which was one of, they always say your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. You know, and my biggest or your biggest weakness is your biggest strength. I was always defiant. It's a very big weakness in a child. But that defiance made me realize that actually being apart from the crowd, you know, everything, like if, if, if the, if the, man, if, if the crowd is here in the middle, I'm always on the outside. I've always been the outlier. They've always called me the black sheep of the family. My whole family, because I always had punk hair, 
Africa and I got piercings and I got tattoos and I have a very middle class family and I was always the one who was getting into trouble and doing drugs and you know and, and partying and falling in with the wrong crowd and having the boyfriend from the wrong side of the tracks I was <laughs> the black sheep of the family yeah so I realized very quickly that what they think doesn't matter and that's truly what you have to get over you just have to realize that that is the truth what they think doesn't matter and you just have to get out there and do yeah. it because you're going to be judged no matter what and you and, and you know again my other very wise friend says you know what susan says of sally says more of susan than it does of sally yeah and that's a bit of a tongue twister but you know if i'm saying oh look at louisa she's so whatever it's because that's part of me and mm. i'm just projecting it onto you it really has nothing to do with you whatsoever and once you realize that and you truly realize that then you're free 100 and when and you're free you can become more creative and build the life that you want i say now of course kim i could talk to you for about 24 hours i think um you're incredible i love everything that you've given you've given so much i'm going to end the podcast with asking you one question and that is what's the one piece of advice that you could give somebody to change their life immediately learn how to think for yourself i you need to go against the system the system is schooled to have you think a certain way once you start stepping outside the system and thinking for yourself and asking the question why and asking the question who does this serve if it doesn't serve you then then quite possibly it's it hasn't been built for you it's been built for someone else and it doesn't serve you so learning to think outside the box learning to think outside the system mm. will propel you forward into whatever it is that, that you want to do because it's the it unfortunately it's the it's the crowd mindset. It's the, the sheep mindset that, you know, can I give you a really quick example before we go? Yes. Really quick. We were, I was standing one day at, uh, I was at a big event with my kids and there were two cash machines at the big event. It was like an indoor exhibition. There were two cash machines. I went to go and get cash. And so there were, there was no line at all at one of the cash machines and there was an enormous line at the other cash machine. So I looked at the cash machine that had no line and I said, like an ATM, and I said, oh, and I said to my mother-in-law, oh, that used to be from Australia. And I said, oh, that one must be broken. So we joined the line, the enormous line. And I thought, oh, my God, we're going to be here for about an hour to get to the ATM. So I was curiously looking at this other, this other ATM. And I thought, it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with it. And so we stood there for about another five minutes. And I said to my mother-in-law, you stay here a minute. I'm just going over. So I went over to the other ATM and I looked at it. There didn't seem anything wrong. I took my cash card. I put in, you know, my, my, my bank card. I tapped in my number. It gave me my money and I turned around and looked at her and I was like, this ATM works. But everybody had assumed that because no one else was at the ATM that it worked. And there were people standing in this queue for like 30 minutes. Like we were kind of mulling around for a while. Nobody even thought to go and try the ATM. Yeah. And of course, then once they realized it worked for me, the rest of the line, you know, half of the line came over. And I said to my mother-in-law, this is why I didn't send my kids to school. I said, that is a result of, of innate schooling. Yep. standing in that line and not even questioning not even venturing over to check does it work is the problem we're all stuck in mm. lives that we hate doing jobs that we don't enjoy to buy shit to please people that we don't even like I because we have this mindset that. so that's that's the atm <laughs> example that i like to give but so step outside that box and go and try the ATM that doesn't have a cue and you might just be surprised. Kim, you are a warrior. I fucking love you so much. Where can, <laughs> where can my, um, my audience find you? Uh, on Instagram, I'm known as uh, the sculpted vegan or my website, which is the sculpted Those are probably the two best places to connect with me. But if you want to connect with me personally, go to Instagram at the sculpted vegan. Cause I was, I respond to everything on there. 
I love it. Thank you so much, Kim.